So actually the next wave is actually going back to how you can make uh, marketing decisions or targeting decisions with limited less data. data. Uh, one of the very strong ones is, and you will see this uh, not just in MBA students, but actually entrepreneurs, etc. When they say we are spending on marketing, what they actually mean is we are spending on advertising. This is called segmentation in marketing. It's also yeah. called cluster analysis in statistics and machine learning. They are one and the same. Hello and welcome to Data Shadow, the podcast on all things data. This podcast is a series of conversations with experts and industry leaders in data, and each week we aim to unpack a different compartment of the data suitcase. I'm your host Karthik Shashidhar. I'm a blogger, newspaper columnist, book author, and a former data and strategy consultant. I currently head analytics and business intelligence for Delivery, one of India's largest logistics companies. You can follow me on Twitter at Karthik S, that is K-A-R-T-H-I-K-S and read my blog at noenthuda.com, that is N-O-E-N-T-H-U-D-A.com. All opinions expressed in this podcast belong to me and my podcast guests and I do not reflect the views of any organizations we might be associated with. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be taken as financial or legal advice. If you go to business school in India, you will end up with the impression that marketing is not a quantitative subject. Some sort of weird process happens in the first year, where you see a more mathematically inclined students gravitate towards finance, and marketing gets labelled as for creative students. However, marketing has for a very long time been an extremely quantitative discipline. As the amount of data explodes, it only seems to be getting more quantitative. So I thought it's only right to get a Assistant Professor of Marketing from IIM Bangalore to talk about marketing being a quantitative subject. My guest today is Prithvi Rajmukherjee. He teaches courses on marketing management and marketing research for MBA students and doctoral students. Apart from this, he has a MOOC titled Quantitative Marketing Research available on edX and Swire. His research interests include behavioral decision making where he models biases and digital marketing where he investigates influencer fraud and clickbait. So you teach marketing at IIM Bangalore. You have done a MOOC in, uh, you teach a MOOC in quantitative marketing. So now based on 15 years back, back when I was a student at IIM Bangalore, there was a strong correlation between sort of people who were not so good at maths by IMB standards and people who wanted to pursue marketing. It was also almost like, it is like, if you don't do well at maths in, in your first year in MBA, then you are better off uh, uh, specializing in marketing. And back then, marketing was all about feeling and personality and uh, things like that. But I understand that like there's a fairly long history of numbers and quantitative methods in marketing. And since you also sort of work in that and teach a course on that, can you give us a, a, a sort of a brief introduction on numbers in marketing and how it came about and so on. Sure. Thanks, Karthik. Uh, so let's uh, start with what you said about feeling and uh, what else was the other word? Personality. Personality. 
I don't okay. know. So a lot I of never this, took any elective in marketing. So yeah. So a lot of this actually, or when you talk about feelings and personality characteristics, etc. By the way, I'll just correct you. These are also these also have some quantitative basis. Okay. So let's start off with that. But I'll go a little back. Let's let's do a little bit of history as to how marketing as a field evolved. So it's all business fields are more or less um, uh, derivatives of the so-called classical fields. So most of marketing comes from econ, which I think you know is a quant field. Most people will identify it with it as a quant field. Psychology or consumer behavior. Now, if your audience is primarily engineering, they probably don't know, but psychology is an intensively quant field, uh, and that's where the feelings and etc. So the problem of measurement yep. is a quantitative problem. Sociology, again, sociology has a lot of quantitative underpinnings. The entire ideas of network science, etc. A lot of it comes from sociology. Yep. So the social networks that we see, etc. uh which also has quantitative underpinnings and it's of course statistics and operations research this tends to be most of how marketing as a field evolved yeah. uh so people from these fields so you may have heard of philip kotler he's an economist actually yeah. and another famous name uh, gary lillian he comes from an operations research background and even today if you see marketing departments at least academic marketing departments hire psychologists they hire sociologists they hire the uh, and of course today uh, computer scientists but historically statisticians and uh, operations research people okay so you may want to ask where numbers come in actually numbers come in almost everywhere there is a small aspect of marketing called qualitative inference but it's not just about your intuition it is a rigorous field in itself it's something that i do not specialize in so i will not go into so let's go into the quantitative underpinning uh at the heart a very reductionist approach to marketing is what that you need to make something and sell it for money yeah that's the most reductionist idea of marketing uh today of course that is not entirely true there's more to marketing you can be a non profit you may want so a more nuanced idea of marketing is that you have something that you want to exchange with somebody else for something else yep uh, so you may want to develop an impression of yourself and then do certain actions etc that would also come under the ambit of marketing But let's go to the most reductionist part the one that most of us Selling. understand that you have to buy and sell you to buy and sell right now so here i'll use some technical terms so the idea is that you have a product and you want somebody to buy it yeah now you know that not everybody is going to buy what you sell yep this is simply because different people have different needs yep so all of these products that you're selling or services uh, they address some certain need and why is the other person going to pay for it because the amount of money he or she is going to part with is worth less than the benefits that he or she receives from your product product yep so at the heart of it is an exchange is a profit loss calculation that itself is quantitative yes right so initially 
let's say in the 1950s which are considered some of the earlier days post war there's a boom right but you don't have enough data to know who wants what because it's you don't have databases difficult to track a person so what you do is at the store level you know that today i sold certain things at certain prices and i observed profit loss etc now that storekeeper may increase prices decrease prices etc and that is a rough proxy for say price elasticity now that is not completely accurate because he doesn't know who bought what me as a person is very different from you as a person or a third party as a person so later what a market has devised is something called the coupon direct mail this at least when i was growing up this was not very popular in india but apparently in the western economies us especially the coupon was a very uh, what do you say a way of tracking who is buying what so you find coupons in your mail and you can go get discounts or whatever but based on that whatever you have redeemed they are actually keeping a database and the next coupon you get is going to be very different from the next coupon somebody else gets so essentially they are using some sort of statistical modeling to uh track you in a way and uh go deeper and deeper into understanding what your preferences are now of course coupons are expensive right you have to pay postage i was just thinking that we in india have sort of leapfrogged coupons we leapfrogged coupons we did get coupons but i do not remember getting um, targeted coupons targeted coupons the first time i saw targeted coupons was actually in france in a supermarket so i have a loyalty card uh by the way this is this is last decade right but some of it still goes ahead uh i have a loyalty card after i make my purchase i get a coupon which is very different from the coupon that the next person in my in the line gets my coupons are somehow calibrated based on my purchase behavior uh so coupons exist to this day of course there is of course the inertia lag whatever you call it uh the original idea of coupons was that you send a postmate yep now this is still in inefficient uh expensive and all of that so the, what what happened the next wave and this came in the 1980s and again we have kind of leapfrogged this we are in this scenario to some extent the idea of supermarket scanner panel data okay yeah now scanner panel data will tell you who bought what yeah they can track you based on your loyalty card they can track you uh, based on your credit card etc you are not going to get everybody because i can still walk into a store i can be a walk in yep pay cash and get out so they don't know who i am but a large number of people in the western economy were using credit cards of course right so they can track you with the credit card uh, they can track you if, if you have a loyalty card where, where they give you discounts etc today however is very interesting amazon doesn't need to give you a loyalty card because they have all your details in yep you have your login id right. so it's like yeah so literally you can track every customer and their purchase history yep essentially quantitative inference is how you can use data yep of the past to make decisions and when i say decisions i mean can i tailor product for you 
can i tailor offers for you can i tailor ads for you yeah right um the same thing if you take a look at advertising you have tv ads and you have banner ads you have newspaper ads which yep. cannot really track you of course but you have cookie ads online ads or you have mobile ads which can track you yes so the individual level data actually in- increases and this is why actually google became the multi billion dollar company it is right and facebook yep because if you remember pre google there was no way to find out who you are what your preferences are and target you yep but to some extent you can so i can say that yes if you are in a posh area supermarket yep then maybe your preferences are going to be a little different from if you're not in a posh area tier 1 town tier 2 town etc but it's still approximate yes. on google however you are searching for exactly something yep they have a much better idea of what your preferences are and they can use that information yes. so now that has been the evolution of how quantitative data has been used so previously people used to do a lot of surveys etc they still do Yeah today however you can uh, actually find out what people want so surveys are essentially what i tell you what i what i tell you may or may not be true all the time uh you ask me do you like uh, do you smoke yeah okay uh, that's it i may say no okay let's say or in amazon i may search for marlboro lights and yeah. buy it So Amazon knows exactly that, or Google knows X Y Z about me. So this is interestingly, like, this evolution. Yeah, sorry, you were saying. So this is like classic. I mean, in the literature, they call it as like stated and revealed preference, right? Like we used to stated market based preference. on stated preferences until now, but now we have enough data to kind of like we don't need to know your stated preference. Yes, for a lot of things, you know your you know revealed preference, not for everything. Yes, but for a lot of things. now however interestingly uh, there's this gdpr rule that's come up in europe yes where you are not allowed to store certain kinds of data yep so if i were to take the times of india home page in india versus the same times of india home page in europe let's say in paris i would have to authorize a lot more there i have to opt in and most people don't uh while here automatically a lot of stuff is being recorded yep this is true for any online player according to european laws gdpr laws uh, this happens so actually the next wave is actually going back to how you can make uh, marketing decisions or targeting decisions with Limited less data. data yep we were going up and again uh, there is a wave of at least in certain economies where limited data plays a role Yep. Okay. Thanks for this evolution. I mean, like this is useful. So, what I understand from you is that like marketing has always been a highly quantitative subject, and like you have people from like uh, sociology, economics, psychology, uh, uh, statistics, and so on, which are all highly quantitative disciplines. So, why is it that we in India, or at least in IIMs, we think that uh, uh, we think that marketing is a soft subject? without much quant why is it that we have this uh, opinion okay that's an interesting question uh, 
there are parts of it which i will not answer why you in iams think something is something i am not qualified to answer okay that's fine because so i have never been an iam student i have only seen it from one side yep uh, my exposure to marketing has been from a european school that was pretty quant heavy uh, so i actually did not have the same uh, notions that you did uh that said uh, there are certain marketing roles that at the face of it do not seem very quantitative okay. and this is absolutely true if you're working for unilever and they send you as a sales rep to uh, rural bihar yep uh that that will be a initial training place right yes of course uh i think everybody has to do it especially in the top fmcg companies yep. or if you're doing b2b sales where you have to negotiate a deal with a uh, buyer prime phase uh a lot of these marketing jobs start off with sales now the sales does not seem heavily one only guess that this is probably what is driving the perception however at the back end you have to maintain sales diaries uh, salesforce.com is a huge business so is yep. zedis associates which uh, does things like calibrating salesforce incentives and uh, training salesforce uh, people etc at the back end there is a lot of uh, machine learning there's a lot of statistical analysis economic analysis yep. even psychological analysis, right uh, so at the end of the day a negotiation is a psych- is a psychological process at the back end at least big companies at the back end will be keeping tabs of a lot of data Yep. Um, in B2B settings, they do keep track track of salesperson's diaries. It used to be diaries, lead generation, etc. Nowadays, there are uh, software systems that uh, track uh, at what level the customer is. You are talking to the customer. What exactly happened? Uh, is the customer a conversion to the next level? And then they try to do some analysis, uh, regression analysis, or something higher. trying to either segment customers into different groups yep or trying to understand why or why you did not get a deal etc so a prima facie right in the front end it may not seem to be very quantitative but at the back end there is a lot of quantitative analysis going on similarly with banks uh, at the front end you have some guy calling you up and uh, pitching uh, an investment product or whatever or credit card or whatever but at the back end they are tracking your transactions they are tracking um, how much money you have balance etc and trying to make some sort of inferences input you yeah so okay so you are saying that like uh, uh, while we might think that it's a bit of a sort of non quantitative sort of uh, discipline there is a lot of quantitative stuff just that people are not exposed to it in the earlier not necessarily exposed to it in the earlier years of their jobs and things like that earlier years of the jobs uh, and the second factor would be probably uh, the core course in marketing that started in iims at least i am bangalore yeah. um, is not very quant heavy now remember you are bringing in people largely from an engineering background very few people have actually exposure to marketing yep uh, and you have to teach them a lot of stuff so one of the things that we find is that there's a preconceived notion that marketing is equal to advertising and a lot of people have this notion even experienced people have this notion that 
marketing means you're going to be the next prasun joshi or uh, who's that guy yush uh, pandey yush pandey no the old guy if it is uh alik padamsi yeah yeah so not a lot but quite a few people tend to have certain preconceived notions right uh, one of the very strong ones is and you will see this uh, not just in mba students but actually entrepreneurs etc when they say we are spending on marketing what they actually mean is we are spending on advertising yep it's yep. a product design so you need to convince somebody that this product design which is also part of marketing uh, yep there is a retail format retail store design uh, choosing um, the retail format and things about the place the four p's essentially which is also marketing uh, pricing is also yeah. marketing etc uh so i think there's a lot to unpack in the first marketing course that people take the second marketing course that people take if anybody is interested is usually research. marketing research in this you do end up doing a lot of con stuff um my case is you probably did not do that in your mba you probably it's an elective at iim bangalore no no i i did it um, and ended up with a bad prof uh, let's not take names here but like uh, i did it okay. and I ended up with a prof who made me lose all love for marketing so yeah well oh, okay that's uh, that's beyond the scope of this discussion yeah that's beyond the scope so marketing yeah so marketing research is a place where you start doing a very shallow dive into quantitative methods but there's a lot more actually than uh, what is typically taught in mba course right okay and to come so sort of before we sort of dive into the actual content so on like one of the question is that like so everything i mean you are an academic so everything that you have told me probably comes from an academic perspective in, the, in terms of like how quant is being used in marketing how it's how it can be used how it has been used over the years but how, what's the typical translation like of what happens in academia to industry like sort of like uh, is the uh, from the industry standpoint also apart from your digital marketing and stuff is it still very quantitative or is it sort of like uh, very different from what it is in academia okay so whatever i told you so i have a of course my experiences are colored by the um by the academic your point but whatever i told you is actually used a lot in industry okay. uh so for example when you want to design a product let's say you want to design a hotel room okay now ideally you would like the best most luxurious hotel room at the lowest price giving free wifi giving um flat screen tv whatever yep. right spa access whatever but that's not feasible yep. right so what you want to do is kind of try to measure for example uh for a given price how price sensitive the customer is the first thing yep. but along with that where do you get your most bang for buck okay should i give free spa access or is it better to give free wifi which one do i think will lead to more customer satisfaction or bring in more customers right yep. ideally yep. i would like to give both but i don't want to because the cost money yep uh so there is a method called say conjoint analysis for example where you Let's give dive these hypothetical sorry let's dive into conjoint analysis now that you have, i have led okay. you to it cool. so yeah okay so this is just one example of where 
industry actually uses quantitative methods okay so what so what happens then is that i will give a survey to a customer okay. or a potential customer that gives him a set of him or her a set of hypothetical hotel rooms yes. and i'm purposely using hotel rooms here because the hilton group has very famously used conjoint analysis i think 30 40 years ago to design its various offerings 30 40 years ago okay uh, yeah it's, it's an old method okay. it's an old method uh, so i give you so for example i say 10000 rupees a night free spa access no internet okay, okay. option yep. one another hypothetical and now you can see the more so called attributes i give i can actually have hundreds and thousands and even millions of potential combinations the permutation combination problem right so i can change the price to anything i want uh wifi i can say free wifi or paid wifi but i can also increase that to 1 gb a day to 5 gb a day etc yes. right yes all of it cost money etc yes. i can have spa access i can have free breakfast or not or i can vary the price of breakfast etc yes. etc et so i can give you hypothetical scenarios like this this room has king size bed free wifi no spa access yes. option 1 option 2 it is 8000 rupees uh free spa access free wifi etc in the process what i am trying to do is i am trying to find out the consumers or the customers value system what yes. he values and what yes. he doesn't so some there may be a group of customers that just wants a sea view yes. let's say i'm in bombay while another guy doesn't care about the sea view but wants free wifi yep maybe maybe he's on a business trip he wants free wifi So the third guy maybe he doesn't like either of these two but would prefer free breakfast yep so stuff like this so what i will try to do is figure out what our customers want or what groups of customers want yep. and accordingly i will design my rooms yeah now for the same price i might give customer x a city view room because he doesn't care about a sea view but free breakfast yep because he prefers free breakfast at the same price well another guy will say i don't care about free breakfast i'm happy to pay for breakfast but at the same price i want a sea view room yeah right so, so this is what con- conjoint analysis does conjoint actually means considered jointly yeah multiple attributes considered jointly take a look at cell phone design yeah it's a classic place where conjoint analysis comes in Do you want more battery life or do you want more RAM in your phone? Right. Fair enough. Yep. Or at the same price, are you price sensitive or not? Yes. But that price goes with are you RAM sensitive or not? Are you screen size sensitive or not? Etc. So I will give you hypothetical combination. I cannot give you all the combinations. There are statistical techniques that let me reduce the yep. number of hypothetical scenarios I give you. Yep. Uh, and in the process i try to figure out what you want the most and i can segment customers based on this 
Yeah. Okay. The, the, I was coming to that. Like, if you can also cluster and sort of segment the people, because like there will yeah. be a bunch of people who will be maybe willing willing to pay two thousand rupees per night extra for the sea view, while another bunch who might not value it at all and things like that. So, because exactly, exactly. So ideally, what I would like is I would like to give you a room that exactly fits your specification and maximizes my profit. That's not going to be possible because yes. I have a finite set of rooms. Yes, of course. I have a finite set of rooms. So, what I want to see is, can I find clusters of people, yeah, who value sea view and breakfast yep. and this similarly. So, can I have a? And this is called segmentation in marketing. It's also yep. called cluster analysis in statistics and machine learning. They are one and the same, actually. Okay. Can okay. I find a group of people who have similar needs or preferences? Yeah, and then I will give them something where they, uh, where they are more likely to like my product. Yeah, and help me make more money. At the end of the day, it's can I make more money out of it? Yeah, so I, I guess at the end and of the day, it can be for phones. Yeah, it can be for phones. It can be for uh, uh, hair salons. It can be for IT consulting um, contracts. It can be for hospitals. Can be any of this. Well, so uh, so tell me one thing. Like uh, so, I think conjoint analysis since it's thirty forty years old. I'm assume assuming it was initially designed for the sampling world, where you do a survey and then do this analysis. Now, I guess like if you are if you are let's say I make my trip, you possibly have the data. Taking your hotel room example, you probably have the data to actually do this with what I would call as population data rather than sample data. Has that actually happened? As in, like, has um, the, and our uh, uh, has marketing evolved to sort of take into account all this uh, the amount of data that we sort of uh, uh, collect and use nowadays? That's an interesting question. Uh, the answer can best be given by companies who have this data. Uh, it's very unlikely that they are going to tell you what exactly they're doing with it. Of course. Um, my guess is yes my guess is that there must be some sort of background analysis done travel booking websites are a classic case of where you can take uh, so you cannot exactly do conjoint analysis with travel booking data by the way okay simply because i have given you only one choice you have given me certain options which actually exist and i have given you one choice yeah and you you don't know my relative preferences for xyz over a large number of people you can do some sort of statistical inference but at the individual level i have given you very few data points uh so but yes what you can do is you can a find out across a large yeah almost population level what people's preferences are um you can also track me and my past purchases assuming that i have been loyal to make my trip now that yeah. if you are taking the example of make my trip now that is not necessarily true of course along with make my trip i might be going to clear trip i might be going to booking.com and yeah. going to a lot of other websites that actually takes me to another very interesting problem in marketing okay which is which is modeling uh, what you call customer attrition and customer loyalty okay it's a very okay. very big problem in marketing okay so let me give you an example let's give yeah. you the example of make my trip itself 
Yeah. So, okay, we'll go back to for simplicity's sake. Let's go back to pre-COVID era. Okay. okay. Yep. COVID complicates a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't yet know how to model certain things, etc. Let's go back to pre-COVID era. So, make my trip has my phone number. Yeah. So they know it's me when I'm booking. Also, actually, when I book a flight ticket, they have all my details, so they know exactly that it's me traveling. Yeah. Let's say I travel uh, on first January. I make my first ever transaction on first January, two thousand ten. Okay. One month later, I make one more travel. Four months later, I make my next travel. One month later, I make my next travel, etc. So they're seeing a pattern, right? Yep. Now. after that suddenly they say see a break of 6 months yes okay and they don't know the future at that point it's been 6 months since i last traveled so the question i have not signed any contract with make my trip it's not like my mobile it's not like a postpaid mobile phone operator yes. where i sign a contract and they know when i have pulled out so the question is am i still active on make my trip or not yep now you can think of instead of make my trip you can say amazon you can say big bazaar yep is right this is called i am a non contractual customer who has been frequenting this store and at each time they know how much i bought yep how much i spent right so now the question is how do they know when i will be back next if at all i will be back Yep, very tough problem. To okay. Solve. Yep, of course. Uh, right. Yep. So you can do things like you can assume that if I'm inactive for six months, I'm gone. Yep. But is that really true? Is there a better method? One of the things, one of the, uh, and this kind of modeling was started in the 1980s, early 80s. Okay. Uh, by uh, some guys called David Schmidtlein, MIT guys, I think. David Schmidtlein, uh, Colombo is the third guy. Morrison, Donald Morrison. How can I forget Donald Morrison? So what they suggested is that these patterns that you see are actually a Poisson process. So I am like a yeah. My inter-purchase times are a Poisson process. Are a Poisson process. I'm assuming you are. Uh, no, actually, inter-process time would be exponential. My... Inter-process time would be exactly. exponential. Uh, it up yeah. just time would be exponential yeah. okay exactly yep except at some point there's a stop maybe yeah. i got pissed off yes maybe i located out yes. maybe i just don't want to travel anymore or maybe i actually died yes all of this of is possible yes uh, and in this literature is the customer attrition is actually called death it's called okay. customer death so i'll use Fair enough okay so what they came up with something which is known as a buy till you die model okay i am a customer with a certain exponential distribution uh that models my uh inter purchase time yes but there's also an exponential distribution and it's like a time to failure in a way yes which models my lifetime exactly right? yes there are two things that are simultaneously being done so based on my past purchases you will actually have a likelihood function oh there is a second step to this now there are thousands of other customers right yes who may not have the same 
exponential distribution parameters that i do yes so on top of this you need to have a distribution that models the heterogeneity of this right so yeah step one is my lambda so lambda and mu one is for my lifetime and one is for my interpretation yes yeah but you and me and thousand other people our same parameters can come from uh let's say a beta distribution or yep. gamma distribution depending on etc depending on uh, certain assumption we can actually change that so there's a lot of research going on here to use a gompers distribution instead of an exponential distribution etc to model okay. interpretation type but the simplest okay. is interpretation time using exponential distributions yeah. and so they came up with a very important result which says that i don't need to store every single purchase timing now remember databases are expensive in the 80s in the 80s it was expensive Instead, not i need if i use the, even now even now by the way yep. even now even if you were to store everything and not use an exponential distribution and try to calculate a likelihood function your computers may run, even the most powerful computers may run for weeks possible yep. what they so, so again if you are uh, you will probably know i don't know if your uh, leadership uh, sorry business your, your listeners uh, the exponential distribution has a memoryless property of course yes which means there are three parameters that you need to store yes the timing of the last purchase which yes. is known as recency yep how many times you have purchased in the past which is known as frequency and yep. how much money you have spent yes in the last uh, yeah i think in the last or maybe the monetary transaction you may need to i i the money part i don't remember but recency and frequency yes are sufficient to start modeling your future behavior yeah i mean at an aggregate level i can totally believe that at at an aggregate level and so further some people simplified this etc these at an aggregate level are excellent in predicting future volumes of purchases from a okay. not at an individual level yes but if you have a cohort of customers it is very good at predicting how much they are going to buy in the future yep now the other advantage of this person process is you can count yes there is actually a method uh, there is actually a closed form solution where you can count the number of transactions in any given time period Yes. so what they show is that uh, out of sample predictions are amazingly good for yeah. uh this what is not good however is how do you track an individual so the next level is can you make individual estimates of lambda uh, yep. the distribution parameters etc at the individual level stack there has been mixed success but people do that a lot using using a hierarchical based uh, kind of analysis very computationally expensive though if you try to go at the individual level things get a lot more complicated and of course the next step is then at what point do i send you a coupon what kind of coupon do you send you how do you react to my marketing messages at the individual level so this is a lot of where uh, it's called customer lifetime value modeling sometimes or customer churn modeling yep another very important uh, i would say quantitative area of marketing analytics 
Yeah. Okay. I think. I think by this point, I think if anybody has listened until now, any doubts they have about marketing being a quantitative discipline would have been dispelled. I mean, just this one thing of. I mean, to talk about customer lifetime value, it seems like a sort of a. I mean, uh, sort of a global concept. We uh, kind of broken it down to a exponential distribution and parameters such as like frequency and recency and so on. And so it's very clear about how uh, how quantitative marketing is. I, I don't think anybody will have a doubt about that. So one, uh, so, so slightly switching tracks. So in the last ten years, I think one new career that has come up, which wasn't there before, was this whole thing, this thing called digital marketing. And what I find, mm-hmm. especially when I go around on LinkedIn, is that like sort of the people who call themselves digital marketers have they they don't seem uh, like so they sort of seem disjoint from uh, traditional marketers. Why is it that digital marketing, uh, uh, in your opinion, has Uh, sort of grown in a completely different way, and like from from the traditional marketing. Because the way I see it, it's all marketing. It's just a different medium. Okay. Uh, it depends on how you define digital marketing. I would say the pioneer of digital marketing comes from uh, Google. Yes. Uh, essentially, because uh, they pioneered, and these were not MBAs or even business academics in any sense. These yes. are computer scientists who who realize that I can find data about you, I can get data about you, and I will then pass on that data to us to an advertiser yep. who can target you with very something very specific. So, for example, if I look for let's say Bata shoes, I want to on Google. Then Google will pass on the message to not just Bata but to a shoe retailer or maybe Nike or maybe Puma. Yep, who might be competitors to Bata, and so it is better than uh, sending me a leaflet on in my mailbox where they don't know if I am actually looking for shoes or not. Yep. So the fit between the person and the advertiser is established. Yeah. Uh, the next level is probably. At this point, the typical digital marketer that you may be talking about is the so-called social media marketer, in a okay. way. Okay. Yep. Uh, which is doing social media campaigns, uh, and the so-called influencer, where it is somebody with a large social media following, who is then harnessing, who is then going and telling the brand that look, I have so many followers, so I am a very popular food blogger. Yep. Uh, if you are selling um, the non-stick cookware, yep. I I will endorse it, and there's a benefit to you, so you pay me for it. Yep. Uh, social media marketing is an extension of what Google pioneered. Google tried a lot to capture social media, but for some reason they could not. They- All of these are now. Um, yep. What we see. Future nobody can say, right? Now social media is a strange beast because social media lets you know not just what your preferences are, what you share are your preferences, right? You know, yes. If I go on to the X Y Z restaurant and I put a picture, then they have some idea what kind of cuisines they like, etc. The fun part about uh, social media is that it can map your social network to yes. some degree. Yes. Only, it knows who your friends are, who is seeing your posts. Yes, and what they're. And this is where actually, so I told you about sociology. 
Yeah, this is where our sociological concepts become very important. Network science. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so now, Facebook can do something that Google cannot. It knows not just about you but about your friends. Yes. Yes. And essentially, that is the reason why Facebook is so valuable, despite yeah. the fact that you are not searching for information on Facebook. Yes. Yes. Right? Also, also. of course now you are killing a lot of time on facebook twitter instagram etc which means that you are very sticky on this platform which means by definition there are 24 hours a day yeah so your tv time has now become facebook time yes right or instagram time so there are two aspects to it one is they have granular data and the second is it is in their interest to keep you hooked on to their platform because Only if a brand gets eyeballs will they advertise on this network, yeah. right? Uh, so now, digital campaigns in that sense are a little different from offline campaigns. Yeah. You mentioned machine learning. I need to get your view on this. How has <laughs> AI, ML, big data, <laughs> cloud? How has that changed marketing? a lot right again look at how google has changed marketing that's your answer okay uh, a lot so if you use your data in a rigorous fashion economically rigorous okay statistically rigorous scientifically rigorous let's say fashion there's a lot that can be done with big data so there's for example i started off by telling you the store inventory right in the 50s yes yeah. yeah. today amazon knows what you clicked when you abandoned your cart shopping cart yes uh they can do pricing experiments they can do price discrimination experiments where they give one person one price another person another price and etc yeah they can do large ab tests they can do ab tests on their format etc and by the way not just online even offline big store can do it and record the results or in a database so it has revolutionized marketing a lot the more data you have oh the more relevant data that you have to put it yeah. this way the more informed decisions you can make the trick is in how you use that data so i'll give you a word of caution same way that it has changed marketing in a lot of ways there is a lot of improper usage as well okay so a classic example is let's say you are modeling my behavior and you have a 1 million parameter model okay in your opinion is that a good model or a bad model bad model is that a good model or a bad model bad model why too many why? parameters too many parameters i mean like it's, it's just exactly like you to have a lot of noise right? yeah overfitted lot, lot absolutely. of absolutely yeah it's massively overfitted yeah which means it's actually a bad model yes if you remember the cambridge analytica case etc a lot of uh, articles in the press uh, actually said that oh look they have millions of data points and they are using millions of parameters yes to or target you to predict your behaviors yes. and you will find a lot of people actually saying that look i can predict your behavior etc with this the problem is uh, a serious statistician will tell you that this is a very poor model yes so at the heart of the matter it's still the same the principles of statistics are still the same right yes. you need you need parsimony 
and you need some sort of theoretical justification for the model pure data uh, if you were just to fit curves into a data it's very unlikely to have out of sample predictive validity yeah. the principles are the same the number of data points increase though yeah so the statistical power of what you do goes up a great deal assuming that you are using the data appropriately so yes in short uh, the data the greater availability of data if used by the right person in the right way can help a lot uh, it can also be misused uh, and mislead you into thinking that you are you have very sophisticated analytics which may not always be the case now by the way uh, i don't normally plug uh, imb okay uh, but imb actually has started a new mba called mba in analytics it's okay. it is an analytics focused mba okay. uh, where a lot of your coursework is different from the standard mba there's i think an intake of only 40 people in the first batch they will be okay. graduating next year uh with the intention of course when i say mba in analytics it doesn't mean mba in marketing analytics yeah also operations analytics uh, hr analytics and all of that financial analytics but marketing analytics actually plays a large role today in the so called analytics boom that we've seen yep uh whether it's music mars of the world or earlier the googles and amazons facebooks etc uh, other specialized analytics companies music mars a lot of others a lot of them actually deal with marketing analytics so uh, mbas across the world are kind of virtually in this way imb has an analytics mba quite a few american and european schools have specialized masters or mba programs that tend to focus more on analytics than a traditional mba etc thank you for listening to data shatter if you like this show please leave a comment share and subscribe to the podcast you can find this podcast on apple podcast spotify or wherever else you go to get your podcasts once again this is karthik signing off thank you